the Finley Toyota Studio, it's Cofield and Company. Najee threw a crack down to the goal line. Touchdown, Pittsburgh. For Najee Harris, number four on the year. They hand it off and running left and getting to the end zone is Benny Snell Jr. His first rushing touchdown of the year. And the Steelers leapfrog back on top. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. All right, here we go. Tuesday, Cofield and Company. Steve Cofield, the company is Adam Hill. Ari is here with us. You hear some football highlights coming in. Let's get to it. It's the three on Cofield and Company. Let's talk football. Are you okay? Oh, football. Yeah. Yeah. I'm good for that. As long as you don't want to talk about the American nonsense. Where did you watch? Uh, Where did you watch soccer? U.S. beats. You're on. One nothing. Didn't feel like it. Didn't feel like a victory in some ways. Until the very end. Yeah. Weird, weird game. But that's soccer for you. Yeah. I was at a... Well, I don't want to give it away because I don't want to I want to get too crowded. Spot. I don't want to get too crowded for, uh, for Saturday. You were watching a Parkway Tavern with... Uh, with uh, Chapman, with Magnum? No, I was at uh, a place that we've done the show from before, uh, the uh, front yard over at Ellis Island. It's a great spot. All right, do me a favor. Find out where we are on Saturday. <laughs> well, we're going to be somewhere, not us, but someone's going to be doing a soccer viewing party on Saturday. And that's where I was today, which was awesome to be at, wherever we're doing right. shows from on Saturday. So the U.S. wins one nothing. Uh, set up the scenario coming in. They draw. They're out. They drew. They're out. They had to win, uh, and they kind of, kind of needed help potentially. But I mean, they really didn't. They needed to win, um, unless Wales won by like eight. <laughs> probably not booked yet, Ari. So you're gonna have to make a phone call because uh, so. <laughs> it was a TBD. The next round was not guaranteed. So. Sure. Uh, so yeah, it was. Um, but I would love to promote it. Essentially, they had to win to get in. Is mm-hmm. is how it was playing out yep. today, and. Uh, as everything else played out, that is exactly where they were. They needed a win and uh, threatened for the vast majority of the first half. There was a couple of counters, but they handled them very well. Uh, threatened throughout much of the first half. And then played a great first half. Played a great first half. Yeah. They take a one nothing lead to the second. Could have been 2 nothing if not for an offsides. Um, Ari, do me a favor. Give me, give me U.S. soccer analysis bite here because um, this kind of sets up the second half. This is in the second half. But as I'm watching, and believe me, folks, I've watched soccer before. I've covered it in the past. There is something about soccer culture and draw culture that drives me nuts. And I could deal with it to a certain extent. But this was kind of the the game plan. We're talking, this was with, I think, at the 78th uh, minute. And we're talking like a good 30 minutes of Iran threatening and dominating play at this point. And you know, little did the U.S. know, they not only had the 12 minutes of regulation to go through, but a lot of extra time. I think the key word for the United States becomes control. Try to control the game with the ball, but then if you have to do some defensive work, you do that too, and you stay disciplined, you stay organized, you try to maintain and control the game through your pressure as well, keeping Iran back defensively, not opening up through the middle of the field, getting pressure on the crosses wide, and then still with control, pushing forward when you can. And so often soccer is just antithetical to what we think of when we compete in American sports, which is attack, right? Now, you have the prevent defense in Football, in American football, most people think it sucks. Um, I mean, I watched a couple of games the last few weeks where 
there was basically a refusal to rush four or five or even bring a sixth in a Charger game a couple of weeks ago against the Chiefs. And what happens? You know, you set yourself up potentially for dangerous positions. And I thought Nevada just picked apart a UNLV defense on two final drives. UNLV finally, you know, got the stop they needed at the very end. But the control the ball, prevent a goal, try not to lose mentality that often goes into soccer, I think can result in disastrous moments. I'm going to take you through some of the moments here. This is the TV call. Some of the dangerous moments from Iran because they had lots and they probably shouldn't have if the U.S. had any sort of aggressive attack or counterattack. Rodos hooking that in behind the target. Diving header by Robinson on all the way clear. Robinson doesn't get to the second ball in the box. Ream comes across into the middle. Tarabi a chance and a miss from Godos on the best look of the night from Iran. Great chance. Great chance. Around the 55th minute mark there. Keep going. Second ball picked up. Hook back in. Popped in the air. Turner's there. Well, they're screaming for a handball. Video assistant referee will have a look at it behind the play. Let's see how it bounces up at the back post. There's no offside. Walker Zimmerman keeping the defender on side. He ends up missing the challenge, but is it the hand of Shaq Moore? No, you're not going to get that. I don't think it rolls up his body. No handball. That's where I hate soccer culture so much. A handball on a ball that rolls up someone's arm. Come on. And I understand what Iran's trying to do. You're trying to take advantage of like any small opening, and maybe the referee is dumb enough to call it. They didn't, but as I'm watching, I'm like, God, we're we're it's like we're playing prevent soccer, and now you're putting so much of the outcome of the game into the officials' hands. Yeah, I mean, I I want to fight back yeah. a little bit on because I've heard the same thing from other people that of course you have watch soccer, but right. Uh, a not, couple by, of, by the way, I was saying this going back to the I think it was a 1992 national title game in NCAA soccer that I covered. Right. Well, I love American football and I love college basketball. It's become the same thing. Like yeah. so, we we it's not, and I and I mean well, the, the the NBA as well, and there's some of it's in the National Football League too. And I mean, I don't mean the penalty thing, not the not the conservative thing. Yeah. Like it, it football, American football has become, and again, I love it. I watch every, I watch every single minute of every second I can, but a lot of it is let's just see if we can throw the ball up in the air and try to get somebody to call a penalty. Like, and that's what soccer for a long time has been. That's what American sports are too. And and as far as VAR with the slightest possible overturn of something yeah that's what we in the nba that's what we've become with some of the out-of-bounds calls that we used to just say all right well we'll just no foul on this we're just kind of caught out bounds because you know this guy hit it this way and that, now it's hey let's see if it hit the very edge of his finger so i'm kind of all for it i'm still a proponent of getting things right even if it's by a by a hairline uh and then in terms of the the conservative nature of something that happened. I absolutely agree. They 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 went into let's just not give up a goal, let's not attack, let's not go forward. But I think some of the other things that are done that I hate 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 other teams doing, the US just doesn't do. And it it that that bothers me too. Like it's what? it's if the ball goes in the box, the goalie grabs it, falls down on it and just waits. Like I gotta wait till everybody's clear by thirty yards here. I gotta hold on, stay on the ball for, I thought, I for forty-five thought, seconds. I actually thought the he did it one time. Team, the broadcast. I thought he did it twice, but I, the broadcast team actually pointed out that it is something the U.S. has never been good at. Yeah. First of all, you have to have a lead, which you know at times there seems like they're always chasing an international play on the biggest stage. But there were a few times when you watch and you have the keeper laying on the ball, and you're like, "Boy, this is so weak." 
It is. But if everyone else does it, you got to do it. But it's when and when you're throwing the ball in, you pass it to four different guys. Yep. Oh, it was great. It was great watching yeah. Iran get all frustrated and knock the ball out of. Uh, I forget who had the ball in but, his hand. I think the, it was Adams. Right. To, to which he should have punched him in the face. But the U.S. still doesn't do but it enough. They, they, and they, they, absolutely down the stretch when there's nine minutes of extra time, and you have the lead, jerk around as much as you want. And then late, I hate it. Late in the game, you finally do counter a little bit, and. Every other team in the world, club or country, almost always right to the corner and just box out, let yep. the ball sit in the corner, yep. box out for 45 seconds, don't let anybody get to the ball, and instead the U.S. went after goal. For some reason, I don't understand why. It was a very, very bizarre decision, uh, but you play conservatively for 50 minutes and then decide to go for goal late in the game when you can just run out the clock in the corner. So a lot of questionable strategical questions. Uh, Errors, I thought, by the U.S. in the second half. In the end, you win. And I know that's what a lot of people look at in all sports. Hey, they won. Right. But you play, you get an early goal against Netherlands, and you play the same way, you lose. So yep. that's the issue. It's not, hey, they won. That, that's that's a really, really dumb way of thinking. Yeah, Bo, I mean, I, I trust um, who was a Clint Dempsey coming on afterwards, and especially Lawless. And they were both like, yeah, they won. But they weren't they weren't over the top thrilled. We'll hear from those guys throughout the show. Here was another uh, dangerous moment from Iran. Resayan in wide. That's Paralaganji going for it, and U.S. fans. I'm sure that's the face of many at home watching this right now. As the United States trying to hold on here, Tyler Adams is with him step for step, and he goes to ground. It's low trajectory. He's trying to find out that near post. Ends up heading it wide. That was an insane chance. That absolutely should have been a goal. That was a header basically on the ground and just went to the left of the goal mouth. And then this was the best chance, but it also shows the other side of soccer that drives you nuts. Iran's got an incredibly dangerous opportunity here. And the attacking player, instead of actually going for the goal, decided that he was going to try to draw a call, and that was more important to flop. Tulsani, he'll lift it up, Reem back, tracking out, jump, flicked, header! It's loose and cleared away by Zimmerman. Job not done. U.S. got to get back. They're screaming. Iran, it's a penalty. Adams blocks it. Musa beat to the second ball. Someone just get rid of that thing, and they do. Now this is going to be reviewed for a potential penalty here on Cameron Carter-Vickers. Nervy moment and nervy scene what this decision is going to be. As this long ball comes up, he's onside. Does Cameron Carter-Vickers get enough? No, I think he goes down far too easy here. There's a hand on the shoulder for sure. But I think Taremi's trying to play for the penalty. Yeah, the Iranian Taremi just fell to the ground. He got caressed on the shoulder and fell to the ground. He had a chance to score a goal, but it was more important to throw himself to the ground. He didn't even, he didn't even sell it well. Yeah, and and, and if they he, had called yeah. that on, on Carter Vickers, that that's it. Yeah, it was it was that was ridiculous. So stupid. Uh so but, by the way, the US won today. Yeah. And we're both happy. People should be. You know, somewhat satisfied with the victory, especially the first half. They went balls out in the first half. The second half was completely annoying. Way too many dangerous chances for Iran because the U.S. was fine almost going into a shell. And to, and it was, it was point, kind of absurd, but they won. To your point, Aronson, early in the second half, actually took a shot to the leg and kept – it was in the box, and he kept trying to fight to get to the goal when he should have just gone down and taken the penalty. Like, they would have called it if he went down. And I don't know why he didn't. Again, it's what the, the U.S. kind of plays straight up in a lot of ways, which I, I I know that a lot of fans will look at other countries and say, why do they do this obnoxiousness? 
They let you, and, and it works. And they're not, and there's no governing body that's going to change it. No, so no. I thought the idea for the some of the anti-flopping stuff in the NBA and college basketball had come from international soccer, but they don't really call it an international soccer. No, uh, very rarely. You know how many times you could call it? Yeah, come on, all the time, all the time. And they, they it's don't. just an accepted part of the game. And yeah. and you know what? There, I'm sure there are people listening right now who love soccer. These guys don't get it. Whatever, whatever. No, don't we do? I watch soccer every. Every weekend, I don't watch part soccer. Of the game. It's beautiful. Part I, I don't of the game. watch soccer yes. in the World Cup. Holding your leg and faking fouls and flopping and crying, and then a minute later running full speed. Okay, <laughs> I just they, but, they, to your point. And I saw you tweeted out that uh, the strategy in the second half was not great. Here's Greg Berhalter, uh, the uh, head coach. Berhalter, the head coach of the U.S. and he kind of encapsulated everything about the game. You know, the first half, we showed what we can do soccer-wise. Um, had, had a really good first half. Second half, we showed what we can do determination-wise. The guys grinded. They gave every single ounce of energy. And we're undefeated going into the next round. There you go. Great soccer in the first, grinded about, in the second. How about Wonderful. continuing to play great soccer? Yeah. Right. <laughs> like, what? The, the, dominate them like you did in the first half. Uh, do that in the second half. Um, you know, and the same goes back to why they were in this position, right? Back to the Wales game. Yeah. Yeah, this is how they play. And that's, Crush people. Yeah, they should have learned from that game. Yep. And they didn't. And so, yeah, they were in the same position. And I get, like, of course, the strategy is, and, and you you referenced, you know, some of the, some of the ways teams go to shell and that sort of thing. This also happens in every sport. It's, it's the NFL. It's not just to prevent defense. It's mm-hmm. you run the ball. Like, you don't, if you have a lead, you don't go out and throw the ball down the field five, you know, five straight times. You try to run out the clock. You try to play the clock and play the game that way, and, and I get it, but I think far too often you, you do it, A, too early, for one. B, they as aggressive as they were attacking in the first half, they really weren't giving up chances the other way. They really weren't giving up counters. And I know I ran, part of that is I ran not trying to counter because they're trying to play for a draw, but like you dominated possession, you dominated chances, keep playing that way, I think, until 10 minutes left, okay, fine. You know, go into a shell and just protect the goal, but... You dominated play. Keep keep playing that way. That all said, beating Iran, wonderful. Up yours, Iran. Up yours. Follow the guys on Twitter at Steve Cofield and at Adam Hill LVRJ, or tweet the show at Cofield and Co. Des making a big run. It's meant for him. Des is stuck in behind. Des in the middle. Pull it Back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. So we came out kind of hard, kind of negative on the uh, U.S. approach in the second half. They win one nothing. They advance, taking out Iran. one nothing. I don't think there's anything wrong with that attitude, that this team can win. They can win attacking. They can beat people more easily than one nothing and holding on and crapping themselves the entire second half. Um I mean, I guess I'll go back to tying it to some of the stuff we talked about yesterday. There's absolutely nothing wrong with UNLV and Eric Harper looking at Marcus Arroyo and that staff and going, should be, could be better. Now, we all agreed on the show yesterday that Arroyo deserved a fourth year. I don't hate the decision, but I also want to see who they bring in, what the staff looks like, how many players they can retain uh, before I pass judgment. You know, we really didn't. 
we couldn't pass judgment on on a lot of the the uh, moves of the past by UNLV, right? Yeah, certainly in basketball. Yeah. I mean, I know you hated Dave Rice being relieved of his duties in the middle of a season. You were consistent on that. You know, you look back on it, he actually was doing a pretty decent job and underachieving his way to 18 and 19 wins. And now, <laughs> you know, the 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 years since they've had a few good years, and I think Kevin Kruger is on the way to getting them back to at least 18, 19, 20 wins. Is that going to be an NCAA tournament? I don't know. Um, yeah, but on, on the U.S. soccer deal, there's nothing wrong with striving for more. Um, I feel like a lot of the fans are comfortable with an inferiority complex, and, uh, complex, and they shouldn't be. Yeah, and, and they shouldn't I'll, be. You know, I'll point out, you know, it's not quite the same, but somewhat related in terms of uh, this team's, you know, outlook. You know, those who follow soccer very closely, I know not everybody's kind of keeping up day to day. For the last three, four years, since they didn't qualify for the last World Cup, have said, this team is ready for 2026. This is a 2026 team, and everything in this tournament isn't really about winning. It's about getting these guys ready for 2026 when they're actually going to be able to compete, potentially, for a, for a world title. Like, they might be able to win. And last night, I heard a discussion uh, between, you know, uh, Taylor Twelman was talking about it, a couple other guys on ESPN, saying, that's still the case. Like, this is still about 2026. This is not mm-hmm. about 2022. But what's wrong with actually going out and trying to win right now? Right. Like you can you can try to learn those lessons and get that experience and figure those things out while also winning. And so that is that is part of this. And yes, this is still about 2026. And I know people that just want to tune in for, you know, an hour and a half, watch a game, cheer for it, and then move on with their lives that don't really care about US soccer and its progression are just like, wait, what? 2026? What are you talking? Like that, but that's what this is. This is about preparing for the next one. But that is what that is the focus still. But you can still do that while trying to attack and win and, and do all those things. What are the Raiders preparing for? I don't know. It's a great question. I wasn't on the entire show yesterday. I heard you guys talking early on, and I I don't really like the angle of tanking until someone is completely one hundred percent mathematically out of things, and it is a thorny situation dealing with you know older players who want to play. They're working their asses off during the week. They're prepping. They want to win. So there's nothing wrong with winning in Seattle, winning the way they did. Uh, you know, Derek Carr getting down on a knee. I don't know if he was crying again or not, but he seemed he seemed very happy. There's nothing wrong with that, but you you do um you do, you do try to mesh like what is the future gonna look like? And what are these wins doing for them right now? Unless they are gonna keep most of this team together, then hey, closing out finishing nine and eight or eight and nine. As a springboard to next year with most of the team back, okay. And I also don't, I don't think that's the case. I don't. I, I'm going to say it's ironic. I don't think irony is the right term, but it is. It is kind of something that's very interesting. Is that the the team would benefit from losing? Derek Carr could potentially save his job by winning. Like if they keep winning and play their way out of a top five pick, which they have, they've gone from second to tenth, right. And they can't draft a quarterback in the first round. Maybe that leads you to be more inclined to stick with him another year, which is the crazy part of the entire: should they be tanking? What should they be doing? Like the players on the field could be saving their jobs by winning games, even if it's making things tougher for the franchise going well, forward. That's crazy. To me, the first step is seeing if you have. I'm going to go. I'll go conservative. Six or seven guys. Maybe that's not conservative. Six or seven guys on defense to build around to get the defense to a, a level next year where you can be a top half of the league defense. They showed some signs. 
in these last two games, and especially yeah. against Seattle. I still I'm not buying Geno Smith. He and he yeah, he made a couple of horrible passes in the game, but the defense did play better. And you do have Chandler Jones. Like I don't know what the terms of the deal are. are they just out of the deal after this year. I mean, they gave the guy three years and fifty one million dollars. Um, you, you kind of need him to play well, so you have some options with him. And the run D was good. Yeah. Listen, Seattle can run the ball. They couldn't on Sunday. Yeah, they they for the most part shut down Kenneth Walker, who's been very very good. Uh, I know, you know, first carry of the game goes in for 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 the touchdown, but um, held him down most of the game. They got eight pressures from Chandler Jones, which is basically more than he's had like the entire season combined, almost. Uh, Max Crosby played another very high level. Obviously, he always does that. But there was there was guys there was guys stepping up and making plays, and I think you know some of the younger guys, especially without Nate Hobbs out there, which they would expect that he comes back this week, which is massive for them. Uh, but guys have stepped up and played better. I know, you know, Patrick Graham, you know, ha- has kind of uh, continued to implement what he wants to do, and the guys are maybe getting a little bit more and um, finding roles for different guys around the uh, around the defense. So I-, I think they've made big strides. They've played much better. And even though they, you know, you look at points, and I think too many people get caught up on points allowed. Uh, but big plays of the game, big moments. They've consistently this year. Not only the last two weeks, which has been obvious because they've won, consistently, even though they've given up points throughout the game, have found ways to make stops late to give the offense a chance. Now, the offense has failed them time and time again, but consistently, they've put the offense in a position to go down and score. In the last two weeks, they have, so that everything looks better because it looks prettier because it's a win, but it's pretty much been the same thing all year. Defense gives up a lot, then gets stops when they have to. Offense doesn't come through, and now they are. So it looks a little bit better. Three six four eleven hundred three six four one one zero zero. We got a big game in town this weekend: Pac twelve football championship back at the Al. You can grab tickets for the Friday night game. It's a five o'clock kickoff. Ticketmaster.com. What a freaking matchup! USC with the we think CFP top four berth on the line, going against the only team that beat them in Utah, and you know the Utes are going to travel at least 10, 15,000 fans. They had a monster turnout a year ago in the game against Auburn. Ari's got tickets right now. Caller 7364-1100. You can grab your own Pac-12 football championship game tickets at Ticketmaster.com. It's this Friday, 5 o'clock, 364-1100. Caller 7. Want the skinny on UNLV football? Listen to the weekly UNLV All Access podcast with Cofield and Caleb Herring. A new episode drops each Thursday morning at UNLV All Access on Twitter. It's fantastic that he got the offer, uh, but Colorado to me is not where Deion Sanders needs to go. Have they been good? Sure. They won a national championship, but not in a long time. And I think Deion is much better in the region that he's in, and I, I hope he I hope he holds on. Will he get better offers? I think he will, Keith. You know him pretty well. I, I don't have any doubt that he'd be better off saying thanks, but no thanks. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota Studio. studio. Morning show on ESPN National, Paul uh, Feinbaum, Paul Feinbaum as the guest there. I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen with Deion Sanders. I think UNLV is definitely going to show some interest. Uh, Colorado does seem like a bizarre match. Yeah. And should his next step just be right to Power 5? I'm guessing that's what he wants. Does he need to go group of five and then to Power 5? What do you think is in his mind? I don't know if he needs to or not. I just think... I just think Las Vegas makes a ton of sense. Not necessarily the the program or yeah. the conference or anything like that, 
I just think Las Vegas makes a ton of sense. I thought your convo yesterday with Chad Anders, who uh, works in Denver on radio, was interesting on the point that uh, Dion doesn't need some sort of gigantic salary as a head coach, but he's going to want you know big boy salary for at least the top three assistants. So then you're talking about somewhere between. I'm not talking SEC assistants where you know they're you got coordinators making one three one five, some coordinators making two million, but you got to have. You know, six to eight hundred thousand dollars for a couple of assistants, somewhere in there. So that's where the budget gets stretched a bit. Yeah. So we'll see. Yeah. The, I'm, the list is coming together for UNLV, and we'll see what names start to emerge here in the next couple of days. But I, I mean, I also, do believe it's it is it is going to be a relatively quick search and hire. And based on past experience, it it needs to be. Right. And the timing right now, too. The timing right now, you got to get someone in. You do want to, I think they have a a bunch of players you want to keep around. I don't think they're going to keep them all around, but you, you certainly don't want to move past, you know, December 1st and then say like December 7th. And then kids could be gone off on their own. You want to make sure you start recruiting them, you know, re recruit the guys you want and then start lining up your recruiting. And as it turns out, it's three periods now. You know, the the newer early period, the late period, and then the transfer period, you know, in April and May. It's very, it's very relevant right now. Uh, it, the same thing that's going on at Golden Angeles University where they just they had to fire. Well, the coach resigned unexpectedly right on signing I'm day. I'm not caught up. Right on signing day. I'm not caught up. And now they're trying to salvage the program. What are you everybody's, talking about? Trying to, everybody's trying to transfer. What are you talking about? All American. Yeah. The new episode. I'm, last so, night. I'm so far behind. It's ridiculous. <laughs> it's a new episode last night. It's the, I'm, I'm everybody's, years behind. Everybody's leaving. Years behind. They're trying to. They're they're hoping that they could get the coach they want in place because a lot of the guys said they'll stay if, he, if he's the coach. I'm, but there's. I'm still having incredible difficulty with whoever wrote the show and advised the show with Darnell in from Nevada. Darnell it, was it, like, it just keeps saying it over it was and like over. Three again. seasons. I know. Ago. That's how far behind I am. All right. So USC is in town. To take on Utah. Not yet, but they'll be here. Gigantic game for the entire Pacific time zone when it comes to football. You got to finish this off and make the CFP. Have to. I don't, no, but I don't I think want, they're going to do it. I, I, I think Utah's going to win. I want chaos. I, I know you want chaos. I'm sure that Kansas State is winning. You want Bama in? No, because they'll, they'll be favored. Uh, I don't. I how actually, would that, wait, say it again? Bama would be favorite. Do you think Bama? Do you think they would jump Bama? USC loses, TCU loses. You think they jump Bama over Ohio State, and then they're like, "We can't have Georgia and Alabama play one four game," so they jump into three with with two losses. Probably. <laughs> Wouldn't that be a hoot? But I also is what a first round matchup that would be, though. I'm consistent as much as I want Michigan. I also want them to lose on Saturday. Like I want complete and total chaos every single. You're year. even rooting against your own school. Yeah. To be mad when they don't get in with one loss. I just want chaos. Whatever is the most chaotic. Well, but thing but that why can do happen. we need chaos anymore? To move it up one year? To move yes. up the, the 12 team field. Oh, there's one year? already a problem. For I mean, there's already a problem with the with the. They're trying to expand, and the Rose Bowl's like, nah, we want Big Ten packed. Stop. Yeah. Just expand. Yep. Enough of this goofiness. But yes, I just want total chaos. And look, Alabama should be in over Michigan. Wait, what? Yeah. You're insane. They'd be favored. That's a bad number. 
No, I've I've consistently said I I don't I don't agree with the that. Top hey, bookmakers can do what they want, and the, a lot of it's based on perception. So people perceive that Michigan is still not legit. Michigan's legit. No, Michigan is and you legit. Know, and, and I don't know who else has been saying this on the show. I've been saying it consistently for like five or six weeks that I thought Michigan was going to beat Ohio State. I thought they were the better team. And then they went out and freaking punked them. And punked them bad down the stretch. Down the stretch, yeah. It was, it was a lot closer game than a lot of people are trying to make it out. But, but the fourth me. quarter matters because at that point, when you play physical like Michigan does and the other team just wilts and falls apart. And in both, by the way, in both areas, oh, Michigan can't throw the ball. They can't. Well, they did against Ohio State. I think they're holding it. I think they're saving that part. Maybe. Yeah. And they and it was Maybe they're not opening to. up in games they didn't need to. They're also forced to because Blake Corm couldn't play. And yeah. they, so they had to they had to go to the, the passing game a little bit more. Uh, I cannot yeah. believe you're rooting for chaos so much of course. that you're even rooting against your own team, Michigan. Yeah. And I have to be consistent and say if it came down to Alabama, Michigan, which it won't, Michigan should be in even if they lose. So you're showing your objectivity as well. Yeah. No one does that. It's very few. Very few. Yes. But yes, that, I my mean, team shouldn't be in because the power ratings say Bama's better. I also do believe we have to go by the power ratings. I also do believe, and it's you know, I also do believe Michigan's the top four in the power ratings. So um, I'm okay with using the power ratings because Michigan would still be in. Uh, but if it came down to it, yes, Alabama would be favored over Michigan. I don't want that. I want to play TCU. I think that's the best matchup, of course. So hopefully, you know, TCU for that sake. Hopefully, TCU wins and they're three. And that's great, but we'll see. We'll see how it plays out. I want all the teams that are playing this weekend to lose. I don't think the TV show that is the CFP reveal in like forty minutes is going to pull anything screwy. But stay tuned. You never know. Wait, what do you, who th- who do you think they'll have for? I mean, is there is there really a discussion here? It's USC. Uh, Ohio State should be over USC. Yeah, I don't buy it. I just I don't think Ohio State's that good. Um, and I would push for Ohio State if they had played a fourth quarter. They got wiped out. Finish the game off. Close loss. Yeah, you're better. Because uh, we all have questions about USC on defense. I mean, who you know, whoever they match up against, it, you know, they're going to have to really going to win. They're super offensively talented, and Caleb Williams is one of those transcendent guys that could carry a team. You know, like a Joe Barra or Cam Newton. I do but, think, it's- but there, is their defense going to be a whole be able to hold? Any of these teams under forty points? I, I think they'll probably do what you're saying. How they're gonna? How they're gonna? It'll be, it'll be Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC. Interesting thing is who's five, because then then you could use it for oh, who Bama's, up. Bama's in the five hole. Then you know what's happening. Right, the setup is there. Yeah. Join Cofield and Company on Thursdays for the live 2 to 5 show at Silver 7's Hotel and Casino. During all NFL games this season, get 77 cent beers. It's Thursday night football at Silver 7's Flamingo in Paradise. Ball counter in the bottom of the seventh. Straight in. Couple of fakes. He scores! He let the puck nearly roll off the tip of his blade. He pulled it back. Steps it home on the left post. Vegas wins 3-2. Now, back to Cofield and Company in the Finley Toyota studio. Oh, those neon lights shine like Christmas night. And the spirits... Holiday season is here. What is this? Uh, Ari, Ari, Ari brings it back. He likes his song. What are you going to do? Christmas in Vegas. Christmas sucks in general. We know Christmas that. music. We have plenty is of time to bash on the holidays. Christmas, other time. Christmas music is horrific. It's, it's not. November. Yes. Special. Re- oh, th- that does not matter. Darren Millard. It does not matter. 
calendar doesn't matter. Do you not have any decorations up at all? Yeah, as I of today, what did I put any up? Yeah, what do you have up? I didn't put any up, okay. but there are up. When yeah. do you guys just go all out? I, I'm like a first week uh, of December. That's pretty good. I, I need to see December. Okay, that's pretty good. Yeah, my tree was up three weeks ago. Three and, weeks. And, so it's uh, obviously fake. It is. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm not buying a real tree. We're going and chopping one down. That's not going to happen. You could grow one in that time. That's a good point. It is a little early, but all the lights are up. Oh, almost all the lights are up. I still have not climbed on the roof yet. The last three years, I've gone and bought one of those uh, tabletop ones, like on Christmas Eve from CVS. Just why, throw it on the table. Why don't you keep them? Eh, you just know. toss them every yeah. day. He's very wealthy. Save yourself they're, a trip no, they're to like, CVS. They're like $7. They're on sale. They're 50% oh, off or whatever. You're, you're, you're just, a rich guy. You can afford yeah, that. Like seven bucks. What am I going to keep? Keep a bunch <laughs> of little trees around? VGK in a minute. Did you watch the World Cup? I did. We came in very much on fire. The USA won, but we didn't like the way they won. But that might be soccer. It was supposed to be a big year for Canada, and they stunk. No, no, we're in a tough pool. Tough pool. <laughs> they stunk. I, I would have taken your pool of over course. our pool. Of course. But All right? The problem, with, though, is that Canada scored very early against Croatia and then just were a Minute mess. Minute in. We're a mess after yeah, that. Croatia is pretty good. And then we played uh, and, uh, Belgium first, and they're yeah. like number two in the world. And Davies missed a penalty. That's yeah. cool. Yeah. And you know what? Who was uh, really sour about that was uh, Mark Stone. He knew everybody in that. That guy's a sports fan, man. He knew where he was taking a... the shot. He knew his, the goal. He knew everything. Are you a notebook guy? Yeah, I love, my, I love my notebook. Are you... Are you... Do you take notes like, no, like Brian Gumble on of, HBO Real no, Sports? No, I do a like lot. Afterwards, of Cofield like, said this. I'll no, get him back on this. I do it like happy faces and doodle. Oh, you just doodle. I, just, I, just well, I hope we're doodle. exciting enough that you don't yeah. like excessively doodle. No. My dad used to do it in church all the time, and that's where I picked it up. In church? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> all there the are, time. We're there learning are, so much. Hold yeah. on. There are notes on that previous page. Yeah, there some, are. What do you got? Uh, that's from press conferences, media availability. Adam Can Hill asked a really good question. Uh, this is a uh, Edmonton VGK first period. Brett Howden chance. Warren Fogel scored rebound. <laughs> Nuge Hopkins. When are you going to use that? Delayed penalty. Well, I use it. I keep track during the game so I can uh, sort of check back in during the post game. So That's smart, actually. Or, I, or I sound like I'm mocking on you, but I, I have to take notes because I forget everything four minutes later. Or I'll say, hey, you know what? There's three great uh, plays early in the period to the producer for for viz or highlights, and he'll say, when did that happen? So I've got time codes 728, 1155, and 1710. I'm impressed. Otherwise, otherwise, I don't get it. Yep. And it's not and it's not the producer's <laughs> fault. It's my fault. Yep. So that's, that's, totally why I have the, that's why I have the, the notes down for the is, games. Is there anything written in that notebook that tells you why they're so good on the road? Uh, <laughs> no. I, I, I would love to come up with that and give you some kind of beautiful knowledge but I don't have a clue uh, why it is so dominant on the road with wins, wins and losses. Now they've they've pulled a couple out uh, along the way. Uh, they've had some motivated games. Uh, the the Buffalo contest uh, jumps out at you. Uh, the the Ottawa uh, return visit. Mark Stone's always up for those games. I'll put that into that category uh, because it was only his second time ever playing there. But I, I don't know. Ten one and one is is ridiculous. Like, <laughs> it's it's. It's beyond uh, the ability of this person to be able to explain. So I want to ask you a couple of things specifically from last night. First, Jack Eichel taking the puck to the face. Yeah. Uh, as a player, are you mad? If you're Eichel, are you mad that Haig missed so badly on the shot? So 
I got to sort through this carefully. You, uh, you're definitely asking, who took that shot? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So that may, may answer it in a, in a roundabout way. You're definitely checking and going, what happened? Because he didn't see the shot released. Yeah. He, he was going towards the net, and he was boxed out by Gabranson, I believe, and it, it hit him in the side of the face. He had no idea that puck was coming. Not that it would have mattered at all because he was off balance, but you're definitely checking in to see who took that shot. Now, it happened the other night as well uh, in the game against Vancouver where Haig took a shot, and I remember this because of the line that Darren Elliott, who was working the broadcast with uh, Shane and Dave at the time, uh, it it almost missed the end boards. Like, it was almost in the corner. And Darren Elliott said, that's three off the tee. <laughs> so I remember that because it was a great line, and then Hag did it last night. So uh, you may not be mad. You're probably sour that you're hurt, and you definitely want to know who took the shot. And... You know, when obviously we see that in hockey all the time. Hockey players are tough guys, and they, they come back in. But can that be lingering when you when you take a shot like that? You can come back in the game, but the next couple of games, is there still some residual effects if you have stitches and a cut like that? Well, I, I had the conversation today with somebody uh, that I couldn't believe he didn't wear a cage when he came back. I didn't uh, just because of the the rawness of the the wound because it was in two spots: the side of the uh, the eye and then the cheek. Which that swells up. That's got to be in your peripheral vision, right? You got to be able to see that a little bit, throwing you off. So I, I would have expected to have a cage on there, and then maybe wanted back right away, and they didn't have time to, to undo the screws and all that kind of stuff. But I'll be interested to see uh, on Thursday whether or not he's got the the bubble on because of just you want know, to protect that from any type of infection. You go into a corner or a scrum or anything like that, and it rips out your stitches. That's even more painful. And I will say this, my favorite night, my favorite moment of the entire season so far happened last night. Is the the goal or the Logan Thompson calling the shooter? The Logan Thompson calling for the shooter. Yeah. Is one of the it's one of the greatest things I've I've seen, I feel like, where he's he's stopping shot after shot and finally he just takes the glove off and he goes, Send forty three out there. Let's hey, go. There's a couple of things here. <laughs> and you guys as as big sports fans, I think can relate to, to some of this. His blocker was off before that puck stopped moving. <laughs> so you, you've seen like uh, soccer balls fly up in the air and they eventually go in and they, the teams are celebrating. He, he, he wasn't paying attention to that puck because he was so he was thinking about that move with the 4-3 with the hand gesture before he made that save, which is impressive and really confident. The other part is, and uh, this gets to, to our generations like that doesn't happen 20 years ago i'm trying to think of pat quinn uh the the late great pat quinn on the bench and and his goaltender giving him suggestions on who to put in a shootout that doesn't that doesn't happen 20 years ago but but i'll go i'll go further that doesn't happen five years ago that doesn't happen two years ago like i've never seen anything like it never mind a rookie Sending the message to the coach on the bench during a road game. We're we're in a different spot. I love it. I love the personality. But I was in shock that he was doing that during a live shootout. So was I. And so so my questions to kind of fuck. I could probably talk about the moment for the rest of the, rest of the yeah. show. Really, like it, for Cassidy to actually listen. Yes. First of all, how 
I guess how much does that show to the other players of like you have my trust well, instead of just saying like, hey, I'm the coach, I'll decide who's going in here. So now. here's here's a bit of backstory on it. Cassidy could have probably heard me too from <laughs> Studio 31 because Elliot and I, whenever we do these games, we always write down our three shooters, try and try and show how much we know to each other. <laughs> uh, and and I had notebook? I had Paul Cot not in this notebook, but okay. my notebook across okay. the hall. Uh, I had Paul Cotter as two. Paul Cotter is in my lineup every night as one of my 18 skaters for that moment last night. And that was before last night. I've had the chance to, to skate with some of the HSK guys in the last couple of years. Like You're changing a drill for two seconds. Paul Cotter is doing a breakaway uh, drill on you. Like he, he, he takes every opportunity to practice a breakaway on you. He lives for this stuff. So And, and he's really darn good at that it. That was a sick move. It's, it's unstoppable. Yeah. But that's a National Hockey League goaltender who was into the corner. So it, I think Bruce could have heard me. There were several players on the bench who are also mentioning Cotter's name. And he was sitting there. I'll, I'll do the impression. You guys can see me. The radio audience can't. But he's sitting there. And I guarantee you, he's not moving his head because he's a rookie. He's a little more uh, rookie-ish than than Logan Thompson, less brash. But but I guarantee you, Cotter's sitting there with his head going, like with his eyes going to the side, going, "Is he is he looking at me? Because I really want this. I really want this." But he doesn't really because you can hear the other guys saying, "Cotter, Cotter, Cotter." Uh, I, I thought he would have shot sooner. And from from last night moving forward. He's one of your three guys, yeah. Go, just because until he gets stopped or proves that uh, that he's on a, a bit of a, a downward turn, I, he, he's one of my three guys in the shootout. But last uh, thing we're up against it, so we got Sorry. we got about no, you're it's great, it's great fault. stories. Darren Millard's in studio with us, getting ready for the VGK Insider Show coming up here in about five minutes. Um, I know it's three games away, but how big is this road game going to be against the Bruins? I think it's perfect in the sense of where it's situated on the road trip. Just like the Buffalo game was at the end of the five-game road trip, where it kept them engaged all the way along, that they couldn't they win a couple of games, thinking, "Oh, we we're off to a good start. We can take this one easy." It's really easy to take one easy. Uh, I think having it the last game of the road trip keeps everybody honest and focused going in, and it is huge. It's how much maybe, will it matter to Cassidy? Oh, as as much as Jack Eichel. Uh, or more, <laughs> or more. Yeah, yeah. The, the the guy got fresher. Let go after a fifty win season. Yeah, like it 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 doesn't happen. So I, I think they're comparable or more. What do you got coming up on the show today? Uh, a little bit of drawings. Okay. <laughs> dry- no, we're going to open up the phones uh, for the first half hour, and then uh, I'm going to get into the whole shootout thing, and and how that came about with uh, with the four and the three, and because everybody was watching at the same time, going, what was he doing? And then you kind of look a little closer. Was he really doing that? Like, how unusual was that? We'll get into that. All right, good deal. Adam, you got anything else to close on? I'm going to ask you plenty of time uh, this hour. If, if, uh, Cassidy, if, if Cotter doesn't score, even if he does, does Cassidy go to Thompson and say, hey, I'm the coach? It's enough. Uh, <laughs> maybe. Maybe <laughs> privately. Yeah. And, and you know what? He wouldn't be wrong in that. <laughs> wouldn't be wrong in that. I, I like your questions in the postgame show. Thank you. Appreciate that. Uh, I like listening to Adam, Adam fire up queries for the head coach. <laughs> Coming up, we bring in Miles Simmons on the National Football League. We'll get some uh, leans and likes for all these big college football playoff games from Sam Paniotovich.